Recovery Internet Radio broadcast live and direct from Straight Stuff Studios. Hope you're having a wonderful weekend. Thanks for joining us here tonight for episode number 64. I really got to write that down. I might have said 64 last week. It's we're there's a lot of episodes. This is year number year number two that we're in now right. of uh, of bringing you our message of hope and recovery. Uh, you know, in our own special way. So thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Glad to have you here. Um, just a couple of words from our, uh, I'm going to use air quotes here that you can't see, but uh, sponsors. <laughs> <laughs> our affiliates, our, uh, our friends. friends. Yeah, just, you know, let's just, let's our just call it what it is here. Yeah. Um, We're promoting our friends. Yeah. Just feel like, like, uh, like Bob Double Take, Double Take Harper here. Or, you know, I don't think that's his. I think his nickname is 10 Gallon. 10 Gallon? Okay, well. I'm not sure what that's anyway, all about. Anyway, he plays in a band called Double Take. And uh, they, uh, they they're great. They do cover cover music. Yeah, mostly it's yeah. A, lot, a lot of fun. They've been they've been putting on shows uh, around Chicagoland for a long time. They got one coming up. Uh, what next Saturday, the fifteenth, nine o'clock at Manhattan's American Bar and Grill. That's in Carroll Stream. Check out their webpage. It's uh, Double Take Band or Double, double take, take Chicago. Chicago. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can check out some of their music there and uh, see uh, any of their upcoming show dates. So check that out. Also, um, we'd like to recommend you check out uh, Dirty Laundry Designs. They do um, greeting cards that are geared towards you know recovery. You know, I think there's there's you know you can't go to Hallmark and say you know there's a certain anniversary they don't have a section for. You know what I mean? So uh, they do some some more specific you know really cool stuff though. It's it's, it's nice artwork. They're really nice cards. We have some of their stuff. Yeah. Uh, what's 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 the number? Uh well, it's dirtylaundrydesigns.com. Dirtylaundrydesigns.com. That's easy to remember. Yeah. Fresh cards. Fresh. I think that's a little take that's on nice. the dirty laundry thing. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And the phone number is eight one five two four five one two zero nine. That's Colleen. So get a hold of them. Check out check out some of their stuff. You got yeah. we, we got Father's Day coming up here. You know, there's always a good reason to buy a card. Just just go get one. Yeah. Just go do it. Okay. You don't have to have a reason. Go crazy. Anyway, uh, that's, that's all I got. You have any? You have any? Uh, little, little you know, actually, two quick things. Yeah. Um, I wanted to say a little something about uh, our the Sidekick Mentoring yeah. Program. Yeah, that's a good. That's if a good anybody thing. out there is looking for a mentor for a kid who's struggling, who has either behavioral problems, drug or alcohol problems, school problems. Basically, it's a free service. You really can't beat that. Yeah, you can go to sidekicksmentoring.com. Dot org. Oh, excuse yeah. me, dot org. Thank you very much. Sidekicksmentoring.org yeah. and, and check, out the, check out the service. Again, it's, there is no cost to the service, and these are the kids that are not going to qualify for big brothers and big sisters. Yeah. That yeah. they're they're not going to qualify. So it's a good way to give give a kid that that needs a positive experience and, and somebody that they can look up to and that, that genuinely cares and wants to you know wants to do a little good in the world. Yeah, you know, good yeah good good experience. Yeah, I wanted to mention that group. Um, good group of people. And um, also one last mention here, real quick. There is uh, a there's a there is a recovery meeting, uh, a twelve step meeting called Saturday Night Out at the Dole. The Dole Mansion is a Crystal, is a Crystal Lake, Illinois uh, landmark kind of, and that's a yeah. quarterly mm-hmm. meeting. 
It's usually it's a big speaker meeting, 200, 250 people, cake and coffee. It's a lot of fun, and that's next Saturday night. So you can choose between that, and it's an open meeting, so anybody can come that's interested and hear speakers and whatnot. It's a good family event. Um, but you're going to have to choose between that or go to hear Double Take. Yeah. It's, uh, it's going to be a tough choice. Yeah. So yeah. do what you will. But I just thought I'd mention that, and uh, then maybe we could get started here. Um, and anyway, just want to uh, welcome everybody. Uh, welcome, Ray. And um, the tag tonight is the methadone maintenance controversy. I added controversy. It may not be a controversy for Ray. <laughs> it's always controversial. Right? Yeah, it's always controversial. We, you know, and I, I warned you. We, you know, we have to, we have to play the drama a little bit. It's, you know, <laughs> yeah, we're controversy. This is, this is the, good radio. This is the, me, this is the media do. here. Okay. Um, and Chlebicki uh, is your name. It's close enough. Chlebicki is. Chlebicki. Okay. Good. I'm I glad. still struggle with it myself. <laughs> okay. So we got that. We were close. That's good. Anyway, thank you guys for joining us tonight where we are every Sunday night at 8 o'clock. So you can always check us out at at 8 o'clock on Sunday night and we'll have something going on. Thanks to Chris who is engineering again tonight as he has for the other 64 or so shows. I think I got 63 out of 64. That's right. You overslept one time. (laughs) You know, you take a nap one time. That's right. Never hear the end of it. Uh, you can call the show for questions or comments or opinions by calling 323-792-2977. That's our regular calling number. It's the same every week. Again, 323-792-2977. We welcome your calls. Absolutely. And may I just say that we can't really screen them either. So, you know, just, just yeah, if fire we, it if in. we answer the phone, we're all... We're all we're, we're, you it's know. not WGN, but you know, you're on the radio here. Come on. Okay, and you can tweet us at Rick Atwater. You can tweet us live at Rick Atwater. Rick Atwater. We um, also have our, our Facebook page is, is uh, new now, too. It's at Recovery Internet Radio on Facebook, so you can okay. follow us there. We've got or the Recovery Internet, go to Recovery Internet Radio for all our archive shows, recovery yeah. resources, et cetera. That's RecoveryInternetRadio.com. Okay. Dot com. Thank you. Okay. Anyway, we got all that out of the way, right? Thanks for patiently waiting for us to get through all of our routines. Well, thank you for having me, and thank you, uh, I mean, congratulations for, what, two years now? Um, Going on, yeah, we're working on our second year. Yeah. Congratulations, very nice. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. We're, we're, really, uh, we're really pleased. I think at our one-year anniversary, we, we brought cupcakes. Yes, we did. Ah. Yeah, we, had a, we, had a, we really had a hoot and holler going on here. <laughs> so let me ask you this. Um, how, did you, how did you end up getting into the, the line of work that you were in? You were, you were working for a Roxanne. Lab, Roxanne, Roxanne Labs. Roxanne Laboratories. And um, like so many things, it's just happenstance. I yeah. happened to uh, be in working in the pharmaceutical industry and uh, looking for another line of work or another uh, company to work for. Mm-hmm. Saw an ad in the paper for Roxanne Laboratories, had no idea who Roxanne Laboratories was, interviewed, and uh, was accepted, you know, into the company. And didn't really know what the company was about and found out that they specialized um, in palliative care, which is pain management, and, mm-hmm. and also um, addiction medicine, mm-hmm. uh, what they called their specialty uh, pharmaceutical division, which was the addiction medicine group, which I ended mm-hmm. up working for. Okay. And... Um, Certainly opened up my eyes to uh, addiction and what it was all about, and really dislodged some uh, prejudices and preconceived ideas that I had. Certainly, and 
Yeah, and I want to. Yeah, I definitely want to get get into talking about that because you didn't come from a you didn't come from a background where that was. Where, no. I mean, you weren't looking, you weren't shopping around for a place that did this particular kind of thing. You were really just looking for a job, and this is what it was. That's it. So I mean, you were you were like a uh, learn. Learned as you learn you, as you go. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was in typical pharmaceutical sales. Um, you know, selling your antibiotics, antidepressants, you know, potassium supplements, whatever the case may be. And never had an idea that even addiction medicine specialty existed out there. And um, and where where are they? Where are they located? Roxanne Laboratories is in Columbus, Ohio. Okay. And uh, they were part and are part of Beringer Ingelheim, which is. The largest um, privately owned pharmaceutical company in the world, actually, out of Ingelheim, Germany. Oh, okay. All right. And, um, you know, spent uh, about five years, if not a little bit longer, with uh, Roxanne uh, mm-hmm. on the addiction medicine side of the business. I bet you learned a lot. You know, it was it was very, very interesting. And it really opened my eyes to, you know, how impactful addiction is on people's lives mm-hmm. and that it's not just something that you know is the way you see it painted in so many different shows where you see the little bum on the corner with long hair and the bad teeth it cuts across all socioeconomic uh, strata i mean i've seen doctors i've seen high school kids i've seen lawyers and you know again you see stereotypical people's you know heroin addicts as well but it goes across a wide array of people from every walk of life, every income bracket. Why do you think, why do you think people have, well, I mean, we're probably talking most, mostly uh, about opiate addicts, yep. um, but, but why do you think there's such a stereotype about that? I mean, no. you know, the, I guess, I don't know. I, I don't really know why that is, do you? No, it's speculation on my part, but I think, you know, media plays it off a certain way, you know, and... Um, you know, it's what you read in the papers, what you perceive, you know, what you think the what addiction is about. In many cases, myself included, early on in my life, you know, before I, before I started at Roxanne, I thought it was a personality flaw. I mean, these people are just the dregs of the earth, the bums, you know, nothing to live for, and they turn to drugs, you know. Mm-hmm. And honestly, shamefully, I look at it now as, um, you know, put them all on an island, get rid of them. I mean, you know, what do they have to do with society? Right. But... You know, as I sat there and learned more about addiction, you know, and I really believe, after listening to uh, multiple scholars, uh, addiction is a biogenetic disease. It's yes. very similar to, um, you know, other diseases, say, like uh, diabetes or any other disease that one would be faced with. Right, right. It's just not socially viewed acceptable or, you know, understood. Right, and I think, you know, people, like think, Particularly opiate addicts, they think they they think junkie. They think somebody who's going to rob your house, or they, you know. But there's a lot of there's you know there's a lot of ways into addiction. Like a doctor would have access to all kinds of opiate-based pain medication. They might be, you know, over medicating themselves for pain or something, and end up with an addictions problem. Right, right. And you know, there's a couple things too where. You know, I learned a couple different things as well while in the industry. One, people intertwine addiction and dependence and don't understand the difference between the two. So talk about the difference. Okay. Uh, dependency can happen to anybody that's in this room or anywhere in the United States. Mm-hmm. That's simply um, uh, what happens when someone is on, say, an opiate for an extended period of time. Right. Whether it's for chronic pain or whatever, right. you become physically dependent. Your right. body, in layman's terms, becomes adjusted to the medication, right. and um, 
if you stop it abruptly, you will go through withdrawal. Right. So you become dependent on that medication. Right. Totally different than a addiction. Um, addiction is uh, they're not only dependent, but there's also a psychological component. Right. And the psychological component uh, is very strong, where right. you will do whatever it takes to get that medic, you know, to get that high, that feel right. that you experience as an addict, right. uh, which is totally different than someone who's dependent. You know who I was, who I was thinking about when you were talking is uh, remember um, when Brett Favre mm-hmm. had. Uh, a, I think he had a pain medication problem. I think, yep. I, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was Vicodin. Yep. And, you know, is that a trade name? Yes, it is. Oh, okay. <laughs> Scratch that. Yeah, I'm not doing an ad for Vicodin. But, um, but anyway, I think, I think you know, it was it was a pain medication, and and uh, it seems to me like he w- was on would be would be classified on the dependency side rather than the addiction side. Mm-hmm. Probably so, and I, I don't know his case well enough to talk, you know, individually. Yeah. But you know, from a dependency standpoint, you want you will go after the medication because you know if you don't take the medication, you're going to get sick. Right. So you'll take that medication to continue it on, so you don't go through withdrawal. Right. But uh, it's not for the feel necessarily that you get. Where an addict goes, and I've talked to a number of addicts in various methadone clinics across the United States. And it's interesting, as you talk to them, they'll tell you this, from the very first time they told me, the very first time we've taken the medication, we felt right for the first time many times in their life. Right. So, again, it's a strong psychological component, uh, emotional, psychological component. It's someone who is not prone to addiction would never feel. Yeah, addicts, my experience is that addicts use eventually to feel normal. Right. Not, you know, so they're just making up the difference between here and there, where a person that's using, just using, you know, maybe they they got a physical dependency on pain medication, they're not concerned about how the feeling normal or otherwise. No. It's sick or not sick or pain or not pain. Yeah. Yeah. And many times, too, um, you know, if you look at, like, people in this room, if you're, you know, if you're not predisposed or pre, you know, predisposed to addiction, go out and try some heroin, and you know what? It is a nice high. I felt great. If I do it again, I do it. If I don't, I don't. No big deal. An addict, a person who is predisposed to addiction, does it once, and the clock, it starts to tick. It's yeah. like, now I feel right. I've got to get that feeling again. If I don't, right. I'm not going normal to your point. Right, right, yeah. Use it to feel right. So let, let's talk about, because we're talking, so really we're talking about, uh, we kind of move the, the conversation to methadone in particular. Mm-hmm. What's the history of the drug? What's the, where did it come from? How did it get used originally? Then, I think it was, was yeah. it de- developed in Germany? Yes, it was. It was developed in Germany in 1937. Okay. And, um, so it was before the Second World War then. I thought it was the second, during the Second World War, yeah. but I was wrong about that. Yeah. yeah. And they used it because they had a lack of opiates that they could have to treat uh, the soldiers in war. Okay. So they synthesized or created methadone. And um, ironically, they found, you know, they discontinued researching it or developing it any further because opioids, they found, had a positive effect, if you will, on the soldiers. It sort of gave them a little bit of uh, more esteem, um, and it didn't really knock them down as much, sort of invigorated them, where methadone tended to, you know, took care of the pain like an opioid, uh, like an opioid would. 
but it also caused them to be very relaxed, very laid back, not wanting to go into war. And right. you know, so, so they'd rather use the they'd rather use the real thing and leave the methadone off. Exactly. Better soldiers. Yep, that was exactly it. Right. And after uh, the war was over, uh, and um, all the patents, rights, and everything like that were dissolved in Germany. Uh, the U.S. brought you know, the United States brought it back to the U.S. methadone, mm-hmm. and uh, any company that was interested in developing or you know licensing methadone could do so for a dollar. And Eli Lilly was one of the first companies that jumped mm-hmm. on board with Dolaphine, which is a five and a ten milligram tablet of methadone. And is Dolaphine the drug name, or is that a is that a trade brand. name? That's a brand. brand. Yep. Okay. Yes. Is methadone the drug name? Yes. Okay, I, I I couldn't figure that when I was researching a little bit. I couldn't figure that one out. It has a lot of different names. Yeah, a lot yeah. of different names that they reference it. There is, and but methadone's the drug. Methadone is the drug. Okay, got it. Let's not even get into the, the slangy stuff. I mean, that's just the, just the different names for it. What about for, for the dolamine? Is that correct? Dolaphine. Dolaphine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's dolly, dolly, things like that. Yep. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. okay. And when it got brought over, um, you know, Eli Lilly brought it over mm-hmm. and uh, quickly licensed it to Roxanne Laboratories. Okay. Also had Dolphin. Okay. Shortly after that, uh, Melcrot got into the game as well. well. Who developed it in Germany, do you know? Um, Herbst, um, I have the name right here, as a matter of fact. It's, uh, you have to forgive me on my German uh, pronunciation of it, but it was... Um, uh, let's see if I can see this here. Um, I want to use my glasses. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's what I'm looking at right here. <laughs> you can't get them any. You can't uh, get that any further away. <laughs> and the arms aren't long enough anymore. No. Uh, uh, it was Fraben Kohlzern at Farbwerk Herbst. Okay. So IG Farben Kohlzern. Is the company that uh, started in Germany? They originally they originally synthesized it, yes, and then manufactured it. Yes. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I could. Yeah, yeah. The German, uh, whatever. I don't think we have a big German audience, so nobody's going to really mind. <laughs> uh, interestingly, though, there's a lot of um, street lore fabricated from yeah. uh, where it was, you know, developed as you know because it was developed in Germany and Dolaphine uh, is close enough to Adolf. Adolf. Uh, oh, DOL, the DOL, D-O-L-P-H. Yep. Yeah. And so there's a lot of um, street lore that actually Hitler developed this to help eradicate, you know, uh, addicts. And there's all kinds of stories that go along with uh-huh. the German connection and Adolf Hitler and everything else, all of which are, you know, not true. Yeah. Yeah, people love to make stuff oh, up, though. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. I mean, it's, yeah. yeah. To enslave the population or something yeah. like that or uh yep it has nothing nothing to do with it nothing to do with it whatsoever so so then um uh who was the first eli Lilly had it licensed it to the company right. you work for roxanne and then they they were they originally using it as uh, were they using it for addiction medicine or just for pain for pain management yeah that that was their the palliative care was their thing yes and then dole and nyschwander along with um, Mary Jane Creek, you know, um, ended up doing studies on, anecdotally they thought that there may be a place for methadone in addiction treatment. Okay. Um, and uh, their studies 
you know, sort of solidified the fact that, yes, this can be used effectively uh, to maintain heroin addicts. When was that? Like, when did they first start doing that? I believe that was in the 60s. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And, they were doing uh, a lot of things with drugs in the 60s. Yeah, I mean, time <laughs> would have been better, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, they found that it was a uh, great uh, maintenance medication, and that's where, you know, methadone maintenance actually... Did the uh, when they when they first started using methadone for pain, did they know that it was well? Is it would they say that it's a, an addictive drug, or is it uh, how did how does it fit? Like, well, I mean, this maybe sounds like a stupid question, but if somebody's in pain, why don't they just give them heroin? You could actually. I mean, it's it's effective pain medication. Right. Um, it's just the pharmacokinetics of you know different drugs and uh, the half life easier to dose. You know, just like hydrocodone, uh, morphine. Uh, they're they're much they're uh, better pharmacokinetically than you than a methadone. I don't know what pharmacokinetic means. I mean, um, the way it's maintained in the system, the way doctor could prescribe it, the half lives. Okay. Um, methadone has a long half life. So, which means it stays in the system a long time, acting as it stays in the system, active yes. in the system a long time, and it's it's, it's very so you could have you know the half life is anywhere from fifteen to oh, I'm trying to think fifteen to sixty hours I guess so there's a wide range okay okay sixty sixty oh, wow yes okay. and typically though the average half life if you will met though is about twenty two hours for the, you know, the average person. So when you start using methadone mm-hmm. in a maintenance-type therapy, because mm-hmm. it's 22 hours, you can actively dose it once every day to keep people yeah, that's, maintained. Yeah, yeah. And so it works well in maintenance, but to use it in a, um, you know, uh, people that don't have tolerance, uh, it's a little, a little bit more difficult to, you know, titrate and work with. So the, uh, the addictive part the, the 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 thinking around the addictive part is that it because it's a longer acting slower it's it's not that it's less physically uh depend i mean you could still become dependent on it you absolutely will you will but it's but it's a long the longer half life is what makes it it's like what makes if i you know if i'm thinking like what makes crack so such a you know short acting mm-hmm. Very high and then low. low. So you need another you need another dose. Right. Boom, 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 boom. And the same holds true with heroin. Same holds true with heroin. Short right. acting. Short acting. Yeah. Now with methadone, when you go on to treatment, because it's twenty two hour half life, typically what happens is many of the uh, people that were in treatment uh, would come into treatment early in the morning to get the dose. And dose would maintain them or hold them. And methadone well, let me just take a step back and yeah. okay, Rick, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, methadone, the properties or the benefits of uh, a person on methadone for treatment is it does three things. You know, first and foremost is keep them from getting sick because it's an opiate and you know you aren't going to go through withdrawal. Right. Okay? Secondly, if dosed appropriately, okay, it's going to block craving. Okay, so the uh, addict will not crave other illicit opiates. Right. Okay. And then thirdly, if it's dosed correctly, uh, it serves as a blockade. So if you do try to shoot over your uh, methadone, it's going to take require a lot more drug, and many times, you know, 
the, the cost deterrent is significant. So it's so, stupid to do it. Yeah, why, why if I'm going to try to go out and get high when I'm on methadone, if I'm going to get off methadone, it's easier to get high that way. Right. So, and um, methadone's a whole lot cheaper than dope. Absolutely. Yeah. Plus, you know what you get if you go into a, you know, right. a methadone clinic, you're getting pure pharmaceutical grade methadone. Right. And right. you don't know what you're getting on the street when you're you know, uh, using whatever heroin. All right. So a couple times... You, you know, you said if dose correctly. Mm-hmm. So it, it takes it takes some skill to know how to do this. Then it's not you just go in get your get your vial in the morning. Or how is it how is it distributed? Is it liquid or there's there's multiple doses of methadone. Um, there's dolphine, which are your five and ten milligram tablets. Okay. You've got um, also a diskette that Roxanne used to manufacture is a 40 milligram tablet which was titrated crosswise so you could break them into 10 milligrams each and then there was um, Malcrod's version of a liquid methadone which was called methadose uh, cherry flavored methadone 10 mm-hmm. milligrams per ml concentration and then Roxanne also had um, um, a clear methadone and we also developed a cherry flavored methadone you know, liquid? it's liquid again comes in a vial Comes in a big, um, for lack of a better word, quart bottle. Yeah. And uh, meter dosed out depending on what the patient's needs were. I get you. And um, when a patient was brought in, a physician would do an intake mm-hmm. to evaluate that person as to what the severity or what the amount of uh, medication they were currently in, not medication, but the amount of illicit opiates they were using. Yeah. And then uh, they were. Brought onto the methadone at the appropriate dose. So you were so when you were doing the the uh, you know you were going to clinics yes. largely was was methadone largely what you were involved in or were you in other things too? Uh, actually, methadone primarily, but then there's another drug called Orlin, which is levo alpha acetylmethyl, which was basically a new entrant to the market. Uh, Orlin, it was a long-acting methadone. Yeah. And basically what Orlin did was allow the patients uh, or the heroin addicts, clients, as you know, yeah. clients to be um, dosed on uh, three times a week uh, dosing yeah. schedule, which tended to normalize their life a little bit so they didn't have to come to the clinic every day. Yeah. Same, same, same drug, but long acting. Yes. More or less, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's a little bit different, but a longer acting version. Yeah. yeah. And I want to say, I can't say it's the same thing because there were some issues that were related to uh, Levo, to Orlan, um, yeah. going on, some cardiac issues, which caused yeah. some concern and yeah. for patients. Is it still on the market? Uh, it's not actively promoted in the U.S. anymore because of the uh, prolonged QT interval that was caused, the heart you know, rhythms, and yeah. uh, caused some cardiac concerns. Rare, but still enough. Yeah, it's enough. Say, uh, yeah, I'd rather, I'd rather not. You know, the other thing I, I was thinking about was that, you know, there's a lot of, we're going to talk about this maybe in the, in the second half, but I just, just as I'm thinking about it here, there's a lot of new drugs out there now that have been developed you know, the, the suboxone and, mm-hmm. the, you know, the, the stuff that you can do. We were talking about it yep. before the show. Is methadone still as uh, used as much as it was, or is that is the market changed? for? I think what you, what you see is uh, for methadone is preferred depending on the people that are coming into treatment. For people that you know, the long term or people that have been in addicted to opiates for a while, 
methadone is the preferred, for the vast majority of methadone is the preferred treatment modality. Right. Um, you know, buprenorphine or suboxone yes. um, is um, a little, there's benefits to that because one, you don't have to go into uh, yes, like, outpatient, wherever outpatient, you are. Yeah. You, know, you go to a physician's office right. and get it there. So for people that may be professional and are truly looking to, you know, um, whether it be detox or maintain, you know, you aren't seen if you're a lawyer or a doctor going into a methadone clinic on a daily basis until you earn take home. You just go to the doctor. Right. When you say earn take home, I know what that means, but yeah. other people might not. That's okay. Um, uh, earning take homes in a methadone clinic, uh, when you first come into a clinic, um, you are not allowed, depending state by state, and how uh, frequently you can't take the meds with you. You can't take them with you. You have Dose to there, then you there observed right. until you are, you know, and they do random uh, urine, urine, urine checks to see if you're clean. And once you, if you show that you're clean over a certain amount of period of time, you're allowed to take home right. you know, one or two, you know, over time. So you don't have to come back to the clinic. Correct. I've heard it called carries. Yes, carries. Yeah. Carry out. Yeah, carry out. Drive through. I think it's a little different, but yeah. I think I kind of I, I get the idea, but why? Why would they prevent? You know, why wouldn't they let somebody? You know, if, if you could take home Suboxone or something like that, mm-hmm. why? Why would you get? You know, why could you go to the pharmacy and get? You know, um, methadone or Suboxone? Yeah. yeah. Well, you can't. You can. Okay. That, you know, if a doctor, technically, a doctor cannot prescribe methadone from a pharmacy. For addiction, okay. Uh, there's rules and regulations that you have to be treated. If you're treating addiction, you have to be licensed to treat addiction. You have to actually go to an addiction center. So you can't just prescribe methadone on an outpatient on basis. An outpatient. If That's the difference, though. Suboxone, you can. Yes. Yeah. And um, yeah. So it's it's a little more convenient for uh, uh, yeah people this way. Now I have heard, and we're gonna let me let me slip this one in, and then we'll take a we'll take a, a quick break. Uh, that, um, you know, people have to come down on their methadone dosage. In one case in particular, a guy that I know, they would, the doc wouldn't put him on the Suboxone until he was at less than 50 milligrams of methadone. Mm-hmm. Does, that, does that sound familiar to you? Yeah, it does. And uh, the conversion from methadone to Suboxone it has to be done carefully because what will happen is suboxone dislodges the opiates from the receptors uh, effectively. It's very strong dislodging it, but it's not strong enough to, you know, stop withdrawal all the time. So yeah. that's where you have the issue with, you know. Right. So, yeah. So somebody who hasn't had any sick for a long period of time on the methadone, when they make the switch, they're not going to have the cravings, but they might feel sick. Possibly. Right, so they have to be lo- they have to go lower on the methadone. Yeah. They have to be dosed down, down. Uh, titrated down. Okay, all right. Well, that's I mean that's that's really good information. I, you know, so like I kind of want to talk about like the the treatment end of things when we come back, but we're going to take a break. And what are we gonna what are we gonna play? Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was. Yeah, I thought it was. So we'll take about what is it? About five or six minutes. Okay.
Okay, welcome back to Recovery Internet Radio. I hope you enjoyed the enjoyed the tune. Yeah, we thought that was fitting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, controversial. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly a song my son would love. Yeah, so, yeah. I'm sure he's listening. Yeah, I, ho- I hope he is. There you so go. We, during the during the break, we were talking about. We just had a little conversation going about the uh, rapid detox thing. So let's talk about that okay. a little bit. You, uh, what was the acronym for that? URA. Okay. Which is Ultra Rapid Opiate Detox. Okay. And you know, and we were talking about de- basically detox from opiate addiction in general, and, and you're saying that's one of the ways to do it. Yep. And you were saying not, probably not, you're not that favorable towards it because? Personally, because it only takes care of the physical side of things. It doesn't okay. take care of the uh, psychological side. And say how it works again. What do they do? Uh, what ultra-rapid ultra opiate detox does is basically brings a person in and uh, to a certain extent anesthetizes them throws a little naltrexone mm-hmm. on board, which dislodges all the opiates from the receptor sites, and basically does a flush, if you will, of your system from the opiates. Okay. So all the detox or all the uh, withdrawal that you're going through is done while you're while you're under. Yeah. Right. And um, next thing you know, a day or two later, you know, the detox, you know, the withdrawal is gone. You know, you never really experience it, and you walk out the door free of opiates in your system. Right. You know, and Again, what ends up happening is because the psychological component isn't taken care of, you know, the recidivism, recidivism rate was people are back at it. Plus, I, you know, and I think I mentioned that, you know, if somebody that that takes care of the opiates, but if somebody's using something else besides, yeah. or if they have cross, they're cross addicted to other drugs or alcohol, yeah. they're often running with that, you know. Yeah. So, I haven't. I mean, I've the, these these clinics that do the rapid detox are pretty popular. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. Because it sounds, I mean, it sounds, this is like, this is like, if I could use the word junkie on the air, this would be like a junkie's dream. Sure. You know, because every junkie that I ever met always wants to get clean. Mm-hmm. They always tell you they want to get clean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to get clean. Well, and I, and I think that they do. Sure. I mean, they don't want to live the life that they're living with all the bumps and bruises and, and worried about getting sick and having to get money and all the other nonsense. Yeah. So they want to get clean, but they don't want to. They don't want to hurt. Right. You know, and th- those two things are rarely separable. Yeah. So it looks like a good. It looks like a. So I'm glad you said that because yeah. it looks like a good option. Yeah. But there's there's some pieces that aren't in place there maybe. Absolutely. You know anything about ibogaine? Have you ever heard of that? I've uh, heard it, but I don't know much about it honestly. Okay. I I mean I wouldn't I wouldn't pretend to know that much about it either, but I have heard that it's used. In the rapid detox world, do you know what the what ibogaine is? Uh, yeah, it's the, I think that's that's basically the, the active component of um, you know what what some people would use in, in something called ayahuasca, which is like a, a hallucinogenic. It's, it's a very powerful hallucinogenic that yeah. it was traditionally used in tribal you know ceremonies. Mm-hmm. You know, and people found that for whatever reason, it it, it seems to. Uh, Get rid of some of the cravings, and if you're going through a detox, if you're coming off of opiates, um, then that sort of you know is some kind of a reset. But it's not it's not necessarily scientifically proven. No, it's, it's like, not it's not approved. So no, no, don't, I don't want anybody to think that that they should go out and find some ayahuasca because well, I think people are in that situation, and I think that 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 came up already where nobody wants to feel like 
garbage. You know, you know, right. people want to get off of what they're on. If they're on, you know, if they're opiate addicted, it's, it's not a great way to be. And and to you know, whatever I can do to alleviate that, I think mm-hmm. that's why that rapid detox would be really like, oh, it sounds like a dream come true. Yep. You know, but you know, I think you'd run into the same problems anywhere where it's just like, okay, you know, shortcuts, you know, rarely are as successful as, as the psychological stuff is yeah. not attended yeah. to. Yeah. So and you were saying that methadone can also be used um, as a, a method of detox. It could sure. be used to... Well, uh, I, I, is it true, like in Great Britain, that it is used that way more than, than maintenance? Yeah. yeah. Why is it that they do the detox and we do the maintenance here, more of the maintenance here? What's the... Is it cultural? culturally accepted, yeah. yeah. I mean, people don't want, you know, we don't have a problem, we'll just detox them and they'll be fine. And that's, you know, not really what good science shows. I mean, they're, you don't just detox someone and off you go and you're fine. Um, you know, it shows actually with uh, the recidivism rate or the recurrence of people going uh, back to illicit opiates even once they've been detoxed off methadone here in the U.S. Typically, once a person has been detoxed off um you know, methadone in the yeah. U.S., a year after, typically 93% recidivism rate. So a year after you detox off methadone, 93% of the people, studies have shown, have gone back to using some sort of illicit opiate. That's pretty pretty ineffective it's, yeah. strategy, sounds like. And that's why maintenance is really, when you think about it, preferable. Because when you have someone who's maintained, and, you know, Rick and I were talking about this a little bit earlier on, yeah. Um, if you believe addiction is truly a you know, biogenetic disease and you look at people who are diabetic and have a disease as well, but that's, of course, much, you know, it's accepted. You know, I'm diabetic. I'm going to take my insulin every day and I'll be, you know, I'll be fine. I'm not going to get sick or whatever. But when it comes to addiction, you know, I've talked to many addicts that has been maintained perfectly well, leads a normal life, you know, very well you know, brought into society, people would not know unless he or she ever said anything about being on methadone. But, you know, in some states, you know, you can only be on so long, you have to be detoxed off. And it just doesn't make sense because if it's a disease and people are doing well while they're maintaining on methadone, why not keep them on methadone as long as they are? Well, and I mean, that, that helped, in a way, it helps me to understand because, like, if we're talking about, like we, we were talking earlier about, um, you know, the the difference between an abstinence-based treatment mm-hmm. and a maintenance-based treatment, mm-hmm. and really what we're, ta- we're talking about—I mean, I know plenty of recovering heroin addicts. Mm-hmm. I don't have the statistics of how many came into, say, a 12-step recovery program and then didn't make it. Right. I'm—I have no—I have no statistics, and I don't think anybody else does either because we. They don't count though. They don't count. Yep. It's too bad. It is. You know, it's too bad in some respects because we, 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 we don't know. But so, so the, the maintenance is an, is an alternative form of treatment for heroin addicts. Yep. And some people like it and some people don't. Mm-hmm. Abstinence-based people generally don't because they feel, I'm sure you've heard, well, what do you hear? What, what, what do they say? cross-addicting. You're changing one addiction for another addiction. So yeah. you're addicted to heroin, you're addicted to opiates. Well, what are you doing? Now you're cross-addicting them, you just switch an addiction from that to methanol. Now they're addicted to methanol. And is it, is it in the, in the uh, 
realm of the maintenance you know, uh, treatment programs, thinking that somebody can be taking methadone and get well psychologically? Yes. That that's possible? Yes, because in a good methadone treatment program or clinic, there's a requirement that there's a certain amount of uh, social service or, you know, psych, you know, social worker involvement as well with the patients. Okay. Minimally, at least, I believe here in the uh, Illinois, it's at least a minimum of one hour a month uh, that they have to go, you know. Mm -hmm. So they have to do something. Yes. They can't just keep taking the methadone. And, right. Yeah. And then, you know, even as far as eventually detoxing off methadone, in a good methadone clinic, a uh, good methadone treatment program, there's, you know, they would encourage people, if you want to try to come off methadone and detox, gladly, we will help you. But realize, because many times there's a certain amount of embarrassment when a person detoxes and they are clean, but not realizing that the recidivism rate is so high, you know, the clinic's happy, you've detoxed, you're off, your family's happy, hey, I'm not a methadone anymore, I'm clean, this is good. But realizing the odds are stacked against you, you do go back. There's a certain amount of embarrassment. I don't want to go back to this clinic where these people just cheered me on for my recovery, if you will, for doing so well. My family just sat there and said, great, you know, I've sort of kicked the habit, but now I'm back to doing this. Right. And so now people are, you know, those many times those people are less likely to come back into treatment. So a good sure. program will say, listen, we know the odds are stacked against you. You know, please, if something does go awry or you do not maintain your sobriety, it's okay to come back. Mm -hmm. People fall and make mistakes. So, right. again, in many ways, you know, the 12-step method and methadone, you know, treatment, maintenance treatment, they're closely aligned. I mean, it's supporting the individual, and it's just different ways of supporting it. Do people – have you had some people do both? Yes, absolutely. There's Narcotics Anonymous mm -hmm. that uh, many times people who are involved in uh, methadone treatment will go through Narcotics Anonymous as mm -hmm. well simultaneously, yes. Yeah. So they don't have to be you know, on separate paths or, you know. Yeah, but I think, well, so what else have you heard from the, from the um, you know, the abstinence community? Any other, any other things that, that, um, that are objections, if you would? And the, the primary objection, of course, is, you know, that you're just cross-addicted. Okay. And, you know, you're replacing one, you know, right. issue with another. Right. But, um, you know, other than that, uh, and they're and staunch 12-step people believe that there's no room for, you know, medication and treatment like that. Uh, yeah. Do you, have you noticed, have, well, I mean, I know you've been out of the business for a while, but have you noticed that things have changed in regards to the attitudes about, um, about that in either direction? You know, I think what you're finding is uh, people are taking more notice of, you know, heroin in the community now. Oh, yeah? Uh, you know, you, whereas in the past, it was, the heroin wasn't quite as pure as it is now. So people would initially maybe snort it. And wouldn't get the high that they would. So eventually they would go into injecting the heroin. Sure. And there's a stigma of injecting or having needles. Right. Uh, but now the heroin is so pure that people could smoke it, they could uh, snort it, and you don't need the needles there. So what that does is it opens up a, a wider population of people. Sure. Those, all those people that wouldn't use it intravenously now can use it. Yeah, That's where you get your high school kids. and Absolutely. And, you know, because they're snorting it or doing whatever. Yeah. 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 
So it, it's, you know, it's becoming, you know, an epidemic and, you know, it's becoming more and more widespread. So I think people are going to be forced to look at, you know, uh, this is a disease and look at how, you know, we're going to move forward with taking care of these people. Interesting. Yeah. Can I say, uh, you know, you mentioned a good, a good methadone treatment program will have, you know, counseling and maybe, maybe link to uh, mm-hmm. other programs. Are there, are there, you know, varying degrees of good versus so-so or maybe, you know, kind of dicey places? Or? Yeah, it, yeah, there's different ideologies, too, within methadone clinics. I mean, some clinics that we visited or that I visited, you know, are purely low-dose maintenance or low-dose clinics, and they would not, under any circumstance, go above 40 or 50 milligrams for a patient or a client. Right. You know, absolutely not. We aren't going to do that. Other clinics will dose as high as they feel appropriate. Mm-hmm. You know, so, yeah, and then some are, you know, like with any business, I mean, people have different ways of operating and different modalities. So, yes, some are a little more. Right. I, you know, and I, and I heard that as kind of a, you know, <clears throat> uh, you know that, that you do have, you have to pay. Yep. You know, does insurance cover a certain certain portion of that if you're if you're going in for, for treatment or if you're if you're trying to you know if you're just, hey I was addicted to heroin I want to stop doing that you see a doctor mm-hmm. that they recommend it so some of that's covered by insurance but you know all up to a certain point or <clears throat> it depends on the insurance program whether it covers it or not okay I imagine most insurance companies would cover methadone treatment but. Typically speaking, people that go in for um, methadone maintenance therapy do not submit it to insurance because that stays with an individual. And the cost typically, and now, again, I'm, this is a few years back when I was more heavily involved in this, the cost of methadone maintenance was, eh, depending uh, anywhere from $50 to $75 a week. And, okay. you know, that's a little bit easier to come up with. Uh, then you know, a lot of times you typical heroin addict who's spending that in a day or much more than that actually in a day. So to cover uh, 50 or $75. How's that, how's that compared to the cost of Suboxone? Um, I've heard that's pretty expensive. Yeah, Suboxone is more expensive than methadone. Yeah. But I don't know exactly the price yeah. differences. That would, be, that would be something that would ha- probably have to be. Yeah. You know, I mean, so, the, so methadone, is, methadone is cheaper. Has is methadone? I mean, this is sort of an ignorant question, but is methadone um, a and 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 more of an urban treatment than than a suburban treatment? You know, honestly, I wouldn't know, Rick. I mean, I think you know, methadone has been around. That's so a little long. delicate. Uh, yeah. Uh, I could say it less delicately. Yeah, I understand. Like, is it a poor people's way to get 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 well? Could, yeah, I think it's probably, yeah, probably more, more so. so. Yeah, because it's more readily available and it's All right. And poor, poor people are not going to have a doctor, their own doctor. They're not going to have insurance yeah. where people that can afford Suboxone, yeah. although Suboxone may not be appropriate for everybody because it's got, because there's some downsides to that. Right. They might, you know, be better suited to. Urban programs. They might be. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. City programs, exactly. Big city problems, big city programs. Yep. You know, but that's see the thing is that that's changing now. Yeah. Because, like you said, you know, heroin's here. Yeah. And so, you know, why don't we have you know like 
so yeah, I don't know where all of our listeners are. So I'm not just speaking, but we we live in a suburban community. Yeah. We don't have a methadone clinic here. We're not too far away from here, though. What's the closest one, Elgin? Elgin, yeah. Yeah. Yep, there's okay. one in Rockford as well. Rockford, yeah. Okay. So yeah. Why isn't there one here? We just. Because why? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. We have a heroin problem here. Why don't we have a methadone clinic here? A couple different reasons, I think. One, uh, what you find a lot of times is zoning regulations, and you get the NIMBY effect, which is not in my backyard. You know, I, I just <laughs> certainly don't want it here. You know, well, that would, people that would fit with where we are, I guess. We got a, we got a NIMBY problem. Yeah. So, you know, and then you also have to look at, um, commute, you know, transportation to and from. So, um, you know, downtown Chicago, you know, there's a couple significant sized methadone clinics down there. Right. You know, but out in the suburbs. I think Rolling Meadows is Rolling another. Rolling Meadows is another one, yeah. Yeah, which is probably 45 minutes or yeah. so from here. But so public transportation is one, was probably one, one issue. People who don't have, people who have heroin problems may not, not always stereotypically yep. are people that don't have, you know, their money is all going to their habit. For so long, and they're probably, they may not be working. That, yep. you know, they, they're not going to have a car, so they're going to need public transportation. Yeah. But to see, we're turning that we're turning that on its ear around here with younger the younger heroin using crowd that has become addicted. Yep. So now we've got families who have 16, 15, 16, 17 year old kids who have a heroin sure. problem. Families got cars. Yep. You know, the kid doesn't have a car. Yep. Might not even have a license. Yep. So we got transportation. We you still got it, you don't want it in your backyard. Still yeah. got NIMBY. Yeah, that's exactly it. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I'm. And uh, it is. It is. Six o'clock in the morning, and many earlier than that, many times I sat, you know, at methadone clinics, five, six o'clock in the morning, and you know, you see a lot of the clients coming to standing around out there in the, you know, and people like don't the want. They don't want. They don't want junkies around. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I mean, it's interesting because everybody, nobody, you know, you read in the newspaper, nobody will say that, you know, we should do nothing about the heroin problem. Right. However. Not here, though. <laughs> however, we don't want a methadone clinic? Yeah. Or, or has it not been, has it not been, I really don't know. See, I don't know if anybody has, has really approached locally anybody about having a methadone clinic here. It's not, you know, I mean, aside from my own personal biases about whether there should or shouldn't be or whether that's the appropriate treatment, for some people it works. Yep. Okay, you know. It's, but it's a business decision, too. I mean, you're going to have to, you know... Uh, you have to have enough, enough people to enough make people it. Enough people to support it. Yeah. And, you know, I, at one point, with a physician friend of mine, was going to open up uh, a clinic, and the place we chose was out in Rockford. Mm-hmm. We saw a need there, and mm-hmm. uh, actually we'd be able to pull people from Janesville, Wisconsin, mm-hmm. and, you know, even suburban Chicago to come up to Rockford to, sure. you know, to be treated. But, um, unfortunately, he passed away, and, you know, he went south a little bit. But... Um, you know, there's there's a business side to it as well that you got to consider. Is there going to be enough to support a clinic? Yeah, there? and maybe that's maybe that's you know part of the you know part of the issue here too. Yeah. There's not the population isn't sizable enough. It could very well be. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
All right. Well, so we're we're closing in on the end of our evening, and I guess I would just want to maybe want to wrap it up by asking you if there's any other um, things that you'd like to say about methadone treatment that you think people don't know, or you think people are have a a mis uh, misguided notion about. Are there any things we didn't get to? Just. Uh, uh, one thing, I guess, you know, to get rid of some of the street lore, if you will. Okay. Um, and then I'd like to, you know, probably end my po- portion here with a little story. Maybe, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Sort of solidify yeah. you know, why I believe, yeah. you know, this is a viable treatment option. Yeah. You know, first off, street lore, as far as uh, methadone goes, um, talked with a number of people in treatment, and they would swear that, you know, the cherry-flavored methadone was the best because mm-hmm. that worked the best, or the diskettes worked the best. You know, right. the biscuits, as they would call them, little yeah. orange wafers. Or, you know, um, you know, not actually the clear was better. You know, methadone is methadone. Right. 40 milligrams or, you know, 10 milligrams per ml right. is 10 milligrams per ml. You know, it's regulated. It doesn't matter if it it's in a pill or if it's liquid or what it tastes no like. Difference. makes no difference. Yeah, so methadone is methadone. The idea that methadone gets into your bones and into your teeth and causes your teeth to rot and your bones to decay and... Um, is all again fallacy as well. The teeth. Typically, what happens is when um, you know a lot of the addicts should say that you know, well, look at my teeth; they're messed up. A lot of it is from them getting sick, which is typically what happens when they would inject with heroin, and the stomach acids would cause their teeth to decay. Sure, and they have teeth decay going on before they ever use the methadone. Absolutely. Right. And then, as far as the joint pain and the uh, aching of the bones. It's withdrawal symptoms. You know, typically achy joints is a right. sign of withdrawal. So it's not the methadone getting in your bones and it's not getting in your teeth and causing, you know, issues. I mean, opiates in general, whether it's methadone or, you know, any pharmaceutical-grade opiate, is, a, if you will, is extremely safe. I mean, it's not bio, it's not um, hepatotoxic. It doesn't hurt, you know, your organs inside. And actually, it's safer than drinking. It's safer than smoking. You know, because it's not going to harm you. It's pure pharmaceutical grade opiates. Right. Just, I'm not condoning going out and doing it, of course. But you know, this is, you know from a you know just from a strictly factual medical point of view. Which I'm glad. You know, I mean, I'm glad. Mm-hmm. You know, we can get the step out of philosophy for this time yeah. and just say, okay, this is what it is. You know, and get the facts. Absolutely. Let's get the facts, yeah. And then the last story I just want to relay, you know, is, you know, I've seen a lot of people in treatment, and um, you've got to talk to a lot of very special people. Mm-hmm. A lot of people that were in treatment are very special people in many, many ways. You know, it's, it, you know, addiction cuts across a wide swath of people. It's right. not your stereotypical people. And I will tell you, one of the stories that stuck with me after I... Um, was in the business for a while, talking with various uh, people in treatment, uh, was a young lady who looked many more years older than her age. Because she and her husband were both heavily involved in using illicit opiates. Mm-hmm. Came in for treatment, and um, she came up to me after being in treatment for eh, probably about six months, maybe a year, her and her husband. She came running up to me, and it was right after the new year. And she goes, Ray, 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 I want, I want to tell you something. She pulled her husband over. She goes, do you realize, for him and I, this is the first year that our kids had a real Christmas. Hmm. We did not go out and spend all the money that we had hmm. on illicit opiates mm-hmm. now that we're in treatment. Hmm. 
And you know, I just want to say thank you for you know, you know, you guys bringing this you know to market now. Of course, you know, there's so many others that do, but it stuck with me because it did. You know, in a certain way, you can see that you made and had an effect on not only these people but on their kids' life as well. You know, and what kid should not have a decent Christmas? You know, so good story. That's a good story. Thank you for uh, thank you for sharing with us tonight and giving us some. Giving us some facts. Appreciate okay. it because I think we a lot. There's a lot of there's a lot of mythology mm-hmm. about about methadone treatment. So yeah. so it's good. It's good to have the real story. Well, I thank you for having me. I'm I'm glad you could come. Um, and uh, I'm not even going to try your last name again. I, <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Ray. That's okay. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And also, I want to thank our listeners and, uh, out there wherever you wherever you are. We don't know. <laughs> Our studio audience, who's who's here tonight listening to us, thank you for coming. Um, we'll email out our reminders for next week's show. Um, and as always, we'll try to look at recovery from a wide and open perspective. Remember to check recoveryinternetradio.com for all the archive shows and to sign up for our email reminder list. We hope you do. Um, remember, too, that we want to hear from you so we know where you are. So as always, live today, love yourself and your neighbor, and together we'll trudge the happy road to destiny. We hope you've enjoyed the show. See you at 8 p.m. next Sunday night.